everyone. Welcome to a really special episode of the Yoga Focus podcast. Today I wanted to talk about what I do for my day job. I am an occupational therapist and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is because today is April and April is occupational therapy month. And if you have never heard of occupational therapy, you are not alone because I get questions about this all the time and on my first day of graduate school when I was being trained to become a therapist I remember my professor saying practice being able to explain what an occupational therapist does because you will get this question every day for the rest of your career and that was absolutely right because occupational therapy is not as common as physical therapy Speech therapy is pretty self-explanatory. You kind of understand what a speech therapist does just from the name. But occupational therapy is a little bit less clear. Usually the go-to thing that people say to me is, oh, you're an occupational therapist, you must help people find jobs. And although that's not wrong, some OTs do work on helping people find employment, that is a really, really tiny part of what we do in our profession. Um, and it's kind of because of the word occupation in the title that people automatically think job. But occupational therapy is really more about working on the things that occupy your time, the things that make up your day. The reason that I wanted to talk about occupational therapy on this yoga podcast is because I see a lot of yoga teachers wanting to go back to school, wanting to study things and get advanced degrees, and every single time I see them going for physical therapy. And I love physical therapy, I work with some amazing physical therapists, but I really feel like as a yoga teacher and an occupational therapist, those two things go together so much better than just physical therapy. And the reason for this is kind of the background of occupational therapy and the common ground that it shares with what happens in yoga. And I'll go on a little bit later to explain yoga therapy, which is a subset where these two things really, really interconnect. But just to explain a little bit more about what occupational therapy is and how it's different from physical therapy, because my patients will ask me that all the time as well. If they're seeing both the physical therapist and myself, they will always ask, well, what's the difference? Um, and it totally depends on what you're being seen for and what your condition is. But one of the major differences is our background education. So there are two very different degrees. For occupational therapy, most people for their undergraduate degree, so for my Bachelor of Arts, I went for psychology, we get a stronger background in mental health treatment, um, abnormal psychology, positive psychology, lifespan development, so the whole scope of human psychology as an underpinning for what you do as an occupational therapist. One of the reasons for that is that a lot of OTs work just in mental health. They work with people who have 
um, schizophrenia or severe depression, maybe substance abuse disorders. So very specifically, just with populations that have mental health conditions, rather than what I do in physical disabilities. So it depends on what the OT specializes in, but we all have to have that stronger training in mental health treatment. Some people also go for like a public health degree. That's becoming a little bit more common in the students that I'm getting now. A lot of people going for public health as a really good complement to what they're going to learn in graduate school when they study occupational therapy. But I think that the fact that we have more training in mental health conditions automatically makes us more holistic practitioners in terms of treating people on all of their layers. Where I know the physical therapist in the physical therapy program, it is very focused on the physical body. They dive deeper into the anatomy, the physiology, the biology of the physical body, but they really don't get the depth in terms of psychological treatment. And that's why I love my profession so much because I feel like treating the physical body is very important. We need to be able to function, but there's always a psychological and emotional component to an injury, a condition, or a struggle that you are experiencing in your life. And if we miss addressing that emotional component, I feel like it's really not doing that treatment justice because we are very emotional beings. And if we're experiencing something like a severe depression at the same time that we are recovering from, say, knee replacement surgery, somebody who's severely depressed and trying to recover from a knee replacement is not going to be super motivated to do their exercises all the time, to make sure they keep their therapy appointments, to get up and walk as much as they're supposed to, or to keep up with her doctor's appointments. All of those things could possibly be affected by the symptoms of their severe depression. We see that in a lot of different um, conditions that we treat in the clinic, but depression and anxiety are things that I've definitely seen more and more frequently and I feel like a lot of times those symptoms are going to go along with it really as a natural thing that if you are experiencing something really severe or maybe you've been diagnosed with a condition that is going to be with you for the rest of your life that really takes a huge amount of emotional um, figuring things out and reevaluating what you want with your life and where you're going to put your energy and your time. So I feel like an occupational therapist is somebody who's really equipped to help with that entire span of what a person experiences when they're going through illness or injury, not just the physical body. So an occupational therapist is also trained for the full lifespan, as physical therapists do that as well. But um, I know I went into occupational therapy when I was going into school and when I was doing all my prerequisites, I worked at a daycare center and I thought I was going to work with children. That was really my main objective when I went to school. And I did my field work at uh, a satellite office for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia 
And when I got to the end of that fieldwork experience, I was kind of like, uh, I don't know if I necessarily want to work with children. I actually really enjoyed working in my next fieldwork with the older adult population. So I kind of got pulled in that direction. But the important thing is that occupational therapists work with newborns in the ICU. They work with children who have developmental disabilities, teenagers who have um, difficulty in school. There's a lot of school-based occupational therapists and adults who have been in car accidents or service members that are coming back from the military with injuries and they have to adapt the way that they're doing things in their life all the way to the older adult population where um, it could just be wear and tear, arthritis, or stiffness that's impacting their ability to do their daily tasks, all the way to being diagnosed with chronic conditions, which is what I work in right now with people who have progressive neurological conditions like Parkinson's disease is the one that I primarily work with. So it really goes the full span of your life. And you can see if you have that training as an occupational therapist and you are also a yoga teacher, that's going to give you a huge base of knowledge for working with anybody along there, whether you teach children's yoga or you want to specialize with a certain population, you really have a good foundation to be able to do that. When I think of a person that would be a really good occupational therapist, there's a couple words that come to mind. First of all, creativity. You have to be really creative and you have to be a good problem solver. A lot of times I'll describe the process when I'm seeing a new patient that occupational therapists are here to help you solve problems or overcome challenges that you're experiencing in your day. So I'll tell my patients, go home, go about your daily business, and if you find yourself struggling with something or getting frustrated, just take a mental note, and then the next time that you see me, tell me about that, and we'll sit down and we'll figure out, well, how can we change that? How can we make it better? How can we work on your skills so that you're able to complete that task more effectively? So it's a lot about problem solving and being creative and being able to adapt. We had an entire class in my graduate program about how to upgrade and how to downgrade, whether it was the mental challenge of how complex a task was, how cognitively challenging it was, or physically challenging, how heavy things were that you were trying to pick up and put away. How could you make that easier for somebody? How could you make that harder for somebody? And I think that skill transfers really well to being a yoga teacher where you might have a whole group class of between five and who knows, 25, 35 people, and you have to be able to very effectively give options for those poses to adapt them to either make them more challenging or less challenging so that the people within that group can find their version of what we call the just right challenge, that perfect level of challenge where it's not too hard that it's frustrating and it's not so easy that they're getting bored and the mind is wandering or it's not causing change or helping them to make progress. Finding the just right challenge through adaptation. We also work on looking at a person within the context of their life, within the environment 
that they function in and how we can adapt to that environment. A lot of what we'll do within a household, when I first started working right after school, I did home care. So I would go to people's houses and give them therapy within their home. And part of my job was to look at the bathroom, look at the kitchen, look at the stairs, and see if there was anything in the environment that I could change to make that person safer, to make sure that they didn't have falls, or to make it easier for them to carry out their day-to-day -day activities. So it was a lot of that thinking, problem-solving component that I always really enjoy the challenge of that because every single situation is different. We're really trying to look at that individual person and what their specific needs are on that one-on-one -on -one basis, which is one of the things that when you make a transition from being just a regular yoga teacher to a yoga therapist, you're usually switching from seeing a group of people and kind of offering general information, a little bit of upgrade and downgrade, but it's still teaching to a group. Where when you make that transition to yoga therapist, that is when you're really looking very specifically at that one person and trying to figure out what you can give to them that's going to best meet their needs, that's going to meet them at the place where they're at right now. So the process that happens in an occupational therapy session is the same framework, the same kind of series of events that we follow in yoga therapy. And the very first part of that, um, of course, paperwork. <laughs> Nothing in healthcare exists without forms and paperwork. So I do have like a four page form that I'll give people when they're coming to see me for yoga therapy. And it has a lot of, people are always kind of like, this is a lot of information, but it is all really helpful to me. It's health history, it's your dietary habits, your sleep habits, your digestive habits, your relationships, things that you think are helpful skills that you have, maybe some challenges that you want to overcome. There's a bunch of different information that goes onto that sheet. And the same thing happens if you were coming to see me for an occupational therapy session. They're a little bit different because we have to keep the insurance companies happy. But step one is paperwork. Get the, the basic information down. And then step two is you come in for an evaluation. And an evaluation is done one-on-one, -on -one, therapist and client or patient. And a lot of what I do during an evaluation is just talking, building rapport, trying to understand what is important to this person. What do they want to be able to do? What kind of demands exist within their life that they have to be able to meet? So what a person who's maybe like 15 years old and they're in high school and they have lots of classes and things, it's going to be very different than somebody who is 95 years old and is trying to stay within their home and doesn't want to have to go into a nursing home. So it's a lot of gathering information to understand that person and what they need. And we spend a lot of time looking at the different layers. So physically, what does that person need? Uh, mentally, are they struggling with any kind of depression or anxiety? How is their focus and attention? Do they get distracted? And does that make it difficult for them to complete the occupations that they are trying to engage in? And 
what is their social support like? Do they live with somebody who is helping them? Or sometimes we'll have situations where there's somebody in the household who's maybe detrimental to their functioning, like having um, a child who has substance abuse issues and that may be impacting the parent. So we're really looking at all different angles, all different aspects of that person's life during the evaluation process. We also do some measurements. We look at different things and we measure some of the aspects that we want to create change in. So we know where they're at right now. In an occupational therapy session, I might measure somebody's range of motion in their arms if they want to work on recovering from shoulder surgery. If it's a yoga therapy session, I might go through some different measurements of breath work and seeing what that person's breath pattern is, what kind of excursion they have in the rib cage, expanding and contracting, how long they're able to hold their breath before they feel like they need to inhale. That's a, a common test that we'll use to see how sensitive somebody is to carbon dioxide in their body. So we have different tests, but it follows that same process of figure out the background information, meet the person, understand what that person needs and where they're at, and then figuring out what aspects you need to focus on or give attention to, and then measuring some things. Then we go into the treatment, and the, the treatment, whether you're doing occupational therapy or whether you're doing yoga therapy, it's about creating a customized treatment that is just for that one individual person based on the goals that they have or that you have created together. So it's not um, just this one size fits all like it is when you're in a group yoga class. Everybody's doing kind of the same pose. They're all in the same realm. This is just on that one-to-one -one basis. So everything is 100% custom, which is again where that creativity and problem solving comes in because you'll get all sorts of different situations that you really have to figure out. I've been in the field of teaching yoga for about 14 years and uh, being an occupational therapist, I'm just rounding about 10 years later on this year and it never fails that something will walk through the door, some kind of uh, new situation, new condition, something will be thrown at me that I've never seen before and I have to figure it out. So that problem solving is always a helpful skill that gets me through both of those professions. One of the words that we like to use over and over and over in occupational therapy is the word function or functional. We're trying to make that person as functional as possible. And I feel like this has definitely spilled over to the way that I teach yoga in both my group class and private sessions, because for me, being able to do a handstand or a split or put your foot behind your head, uh, it's really not functional unless you work for like Cirque du Soleil or maybe you're a ballet dancer and that's part of what you have to do during your day. But for the normal population of people who have normal types of jobs, you really don't need to be able to do that. You need to be able to bend over and pick something up off the floor. You have to be able to reach up into a cabinet and get things. You have to be able to stand up off of a low toilet seat. All of these functional movements that really help you to get through your day 
are what I am the most focused on because that's really going to make a difference in how much ease you have with just going through your normal daily activities. I don't really care if you can do a handstand because I don't feel like that's going to have such a strong impact on your daily function. Now, one of the most functional skills that we can teach people, whether it's within an occupational therapy session or whether it's in a yoga therapy session or even in the context of group classes, one of the most functional things that we can teach anybody is to be able to have strong coping mechanisms and to be able to handle stress effectively, challenges, because 100% guaranteed, if you are a human being, you are going to experience very challenging situations in your life. We all go through them. So knowing that, why wouldn't we want to teach people coping mechanisms to handle all of those things? And for me, being able to cope with things uh, in terms of meditation techniques and breath work and journaling, using affirmations, all of the things that I find helpful when I'm going through a challenging life situation, those are the things that I want to plug into my practice or the things that I want to introduce to my patients in a clinical setting because I feel like I know that at some point they're going to need those and for sure if they are going through an illness or an injury of themselves or a family member, they're going to probably need those strategies right away. That just brings me back to the idea that occupational therapy and the way that we want to teach yoga, especially if you take that leap into becoming a yoga therapist, is this holistic way of looking at a person or a holistic way of treating a condition. Both OT and yoga therapy are going to try to get to the root cause of something for sure. If there's an illness, we want to try to look back and see, well, what factors may have contributed to that illness so that we can address those first. In some situations, we're not going to be able to fix or cure the situation. And then we take that next step to adaptation. So given the limitations that that person has, whether it's physical, mental, cognitive, emotional, how can we change the challenges that are being presented to them so that they're better able to handle them? How can I adapt the environment? In yoga, it would be props. In the home situation, I would probably be putting grab bars in bathrooms and raised toilet seats and things like that. So it's a little bit different, the, the actual physical tools that you're going to use, but the underlying idea of changing the environment to fit the needs of the person is really continuous through both of these professions. There's a big movement that's going on to looking at a person from specific frameworks and the framework that is really getting a lot of attention recently is the biopsychosocial model. This framework of looking at a person, whether it's in a clinical setting or in a studio setting, and thinking, so biologically, physically, how is their body functioning? psychologically, how is their mental functioning, how is their coping, how do they manage stress, and then socially, what are their 
family ties, friend ties, community support, and then looking at all of those things as components in the healing process, not just working on the physical body. And I feel like, of course, I teach yoga anatomy. I love talking about physical structures and how they work, and it's, it's so fascinating, and there's so much complexity to it, but if we only look at that when we're teaching yoga, I think we are doing our students such a disservice because we are so complicated in terms of the other aspects of our mental and emotional functioning and those things will really trump all if we are having difficulty on the mental and emotional level it is going to ripple down to everything to our relationships to our functioning in our job to the way that we are able to handle our daily chores and even to the level of just being able to get up and take a shower. So if we're not addressing that mental and emotional component, I feel like we really are doing a disservice to our students and our clients if we just physically or just focus on the physical aspect of the practice. And I know I wish I could remember where I heard this, what teacher said it, um, and I'm going to paraphrase, but it was basically that this particular teacher focuses on teaching meditation and breath work and these coping strategies that we learn to use from the tools of yoga practice because almost everybody is going to experience a time where you can't fall back on your physical practice you can't rely on being able to do an hour of sun salutations to burn off nervous energy or to help you to work through that anxiety that you have. There's going to be a time in your life where you are sick and your physical body is not going to be able to take that rigorous practice. Or maybe you have an illness or an injury that is going to prevent you from doing your handstands or your things that you kind of go to when you need that physical challenge. We need to be able to learn how to sit and be still and implement those strategies within that stillness. And just for an example, if you were in a, a car accident and you had multiple injuries that were preventing you from getting up and doing a physical practice, if you had that strong connection to using the breath, using meditation techniques and concentration techniques as your internal practice, that is going to be helpful to you no matter what situation you're in. Whatever difficult life situation is thrown at you, that's always going to be helpful. And I know um, I've had times where I was you know, spending time with my family and there wasn't necessarily a time that I could carve out to do a physical practice. And sometimes being around your family can be a little bit challenging. So during those times, maybe like holidays and things like that, that's when a lot of those internal strategies become really super helpful. So if you're a student, think about that. How can I work on learning and spend time and put effort, just as much effort as you put into your physical practice, into what I call the still practices? Instead of just working on spending six hours a week trying to be able to do the splits, if you took those six hours a week and spent that on the still practices, what kind of an effect would that have on your life? 
that's where yoga really becomes functional. And I love to steal that word from my day job as an occupational therapist, that the insurance companies, when I am billing them for doing a treatment with a patient, they wanna see that I am doing things that is going to impact that patient's function. And I feel like we should have the same strategy when we're taking people's time to teach them yoga, teach them things that are going to be functional. Don't just teach them things that are going to help them while they're on that little rectangular mat. Teach them things that are going to help them when they walk out the door and they have to handle the challenges of life that are guaranteed to come at us. If you were thinking about going on to get an advanced degree and maybe you were thinking about going into this something in the realm of therapy, I hope that I have given you a little bit more insight into why occupational therapy is such a good complement to being a yoga teacher and why I think it's so important for therapists or really anybody in healthcare in the modern day to have a more holistic approach, to use this biopsychosocial model so that we're looking at all components of the person. Now, if you don't necessarily want to go for a formal degree, like a therapy license, the other option is to pursue this avenue of yoga therapy. And this really wasn't on my radar back in the day when I was going through school. So who knows if I had known that that was a thing, I don't know what would have happened. Um, but yoga therapy has become a much bigger area within the scope of what yoga teachers do. But I wanna talk about what the difference is between a yoga teacher and a yoga therapist, because a lot of people have this idea that yoga itself is very therapeutic, it, it helps you heal, it helps you to feel good. So people think, well, isn't every yoga teacher a yoga therapist? But there is a very different way that you're trained when you're just a yoga teacher. You get about 200 hours. I think a lot of places now are doing 300 hours, but the standard is a 200 hour training for a yoga teacher certification. Within those 200 hours, only 20 hours are devoted to anatomy. And that is like a drop in a bucket. <laughs> that is so little anatomy. Um, just the basics, because that's what I teach in our studio. I do the 20 hour anatomy training. So I just, it's like scratching the surface of this is the body, these are the organs, the muscles, the bones, the nervous system. Okay, go do yoga. Um, the majority of your 200 hours is really spent on figuring out the postures, how to teach, how to sequence, what the philosophy is behind yoga, understanding the eight limbs very little time devoted to the physical body and the specifics of anatomy. So when you go for your, your yoga therapy training, there's a lot more training in the specifics of anatomy and kinesiology, so movement science, how the joints are supposed to function, what's normal in the body, what we're trying to encourage, how to test and measure the body to see what falls into the range of what we would consider to be normal or what might be deficient. We get a lot more training in that. Um, there's also more training in conditions and injuries. So for a regular yoga teacher, they're really trained to teach somebody who's pretty intact, pretty healthy, nothing really 
serious going on, when you go for yoga therapy, you're getting a little bit more training in conditions, illnesses, injuries, surgeries, so that you know how to modify what's safe for somebody to do after they've had a hip replacement or a knee replacement, back surgery, somebody who has Parkinson's disease, all of those things get worked into the program so you have a better understanding of conditions and how to work with somebody who has a specific condition. The other difference is that yoga therapy is going to kind of follow that structure that I was talking about earlier where you're going to do an evaluation one-on-one -on -one with that person rather than just having somebody walk into your yoga studio, circle a couple things on a health form, and then hop right into the practice. You really have very little insight into their health condition and their previous injuries and things like that. So with yoga therapy, you get to spend a lot of time. Most people do like an hour or 90 minutes of one-on-one -on -one time with that person to figure out what's going on and really get a good picture of what you're going to work on. And then most of the time with yoga therapy, it's either going to continue on a one-on-one -on -one basis or you're going to transition into a small group setting. And within that small group setting, it is condition specific. So for a particular condition, and I'll use the example that I do, I teach a class for people who have Parkinson's disease, and there's some very specific considerations that I have to keep in mind when I'm teaching a population that has that neurological condition. Balance is a big one. A lot of people with Parkinson's disease have balance deficits and are prone to falling. Um, they are also prone to tripping over things, so I have to be aware of where all the props are on the floor and make sure that there's a clear area. We very often will use a chair or a bar to hold on to when we're doing standing poses. Um, sometimes there are challenges with blood pressure. When they're changing position, there could be a sudden drop in blood pressure that might cause dizziness. So all of those things that are really specific to somebody who has Parkinson's disease go into the way that I structure the class and the way that I sequence things and how quickly or how slowly we're moving within that class. That would be totally different than a group that I was teaching for, say, scoliosis. So if I had four or five people who had scoliosis, I'm going to structure that class very, very differently than my class for the people who have Parkinson's disease. But the idea is that even if you are teaching in a group setting, it's a small group, so you have a lot more individual attention from the teacher to offer adaptations and modifications but the way that that class is structured is really specific to that condition. The other part of yoga therapy that I feel like mirrors what we're looking at in occupational therapy is the kosha system. When you're creating your plan for that person, when you're working on your goals, when you're talking about what that person wants to address through their practice, you're looking at the kosha system in terms of what's going on with this person's physical body, what is going on with their energy system, how about their mind and their emotions, are there anything specifically in that realm that need to be addressed so that they can be a complete well-functioning person in their environment, um, how strongly connected they are to intuition or wisdom, that deeper information within them, 
the layer of bliss or happiness, and then the core of that is the soul. We don't get quite <laughs> that deep in, in occupational therapy. In yoga, of course, we're going down to that spiritual level. So there's a strong overlap, and I feel like they're really good complements to each other, understanding the more Western clinical view of occupational therapy, and then understanding the more Eastern view of the kosha system within the context of yoga therapy. There's a ton of things that I pull from my information on yoga therapy, and I use it in the clinic all the time. I'll do breath work with people. I'll do short meditation techniques. I'll give them homework to do gratitude journals and things like that. Um, and there's a lot of things that I take from my training in occupational therapy that I use in yoga therapy sessions. Uh, one of my favorite things about having both certifications is that I can go to a huge variety of continuing education classes. A lot of things that are more clinically oriented that wouldn't necessarily be available to a yoga teacher, I can take those under my occupational therapy license and I definitely steal information from that and use it to benefit my yoga teaching. And the opposite, um, I did a yoga training on scoliosis that I actually couldn't have done under my occupational therapy license. It was specifically just for yoga teachers. So I feel like the two professions are just such a good complement to each other. So I'll end off this talk by saying, if you want more information about occupational therapy, if you feel like you know somebody who would benefit from this, please do look for an occupational therapist in your area. But if you're interested in that as a career, you can look at the AOTA, which is the American Occupational Therapy Association, which has a lot of information. There's some interesting videos that can show what an occupational therapist does in a lot of different practice settings because there's so much variety. But if you are a yoga teacher who's thinking about adding something to your professional skills, I really urge you to think about occupational therapy as a way to enhance your holistic treatment of a person rather than just looking at the physical body. Again, I love physical therapy, but I feel like occupational therapy just does a better job of looking at a person on all of their layers. So if you have any other questions about occupational therapy or yoga therapy, definitely let me know and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for watching or listening. sticking around to the end of the podcast. I just wanted to talk to you guys about the book that I released in June of 2019, which is called Yoga Therapy at the Wall. I've worked on this book for the past three years to create all of the pictures and all of the information in here. It's 162 pages and it's a full color manual. The chapters are broken down by body parts that we focus on using the wall to help us learn about different movement patterns and how to change some of the yoga postures to have a specific therapeutic focus. 
and you can really start to understand when you look at the book why I feel like the wall is the most underutilized prop that we have in yoga. We kind of forget about these things that we have all around us and that we almost always have access to a wall to utilize in the practice. So this manual will give you a ton of ideas to expand and start to utilize the wall as a prop. If you're interested in ordering, you can get the printed version on lulu.com. Um, you can either take the link in the show notes or you can go on Lulu and look up yoga therapy at the wall. There's also a digital download option, but for that you have to go on Etsy. And my Etsy store is Healthy Focus by Laura G. Or you can just search yoga therapy at the wall. Thanks. Hope you enjoy it.